0: Hello Evertonians and thanks for tuning in to this free podcast from the All Together Now. Now don't forget, you can subscribe to our new platform, Patreon, where you can join us for £3 a month and for that you'll receive a minimum of three podcasts per week featuring pre- and post-match analysis from every single Everton match and exclusive interviews. All you need to do is go on to patreon.com forward slash ATNcast or follow us on All Together Now on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram for all your Everton needs. On with today's episode and it's a special, one of the most famous nights in Everton's history. Everton 3, by Munich one, in 1985. Two special guests here to speak about that famous night. They are Boy of Blue, Jamie Carragher, and the Liverpool Echoes, David Prentice. We'll start with Jamie first. Um, Jamie, you, you've picked out this match in your book. Tell us about the book initially and why you've picked out the Everton match.
1: Well, basically, I've I've always wanted to do a football book, but not an an autobiography. I'd done that about ten years ago. So I've always wanted to, you know, be involved in a football book. I read a lot of them, and uh, probably about twelve months ago, this came up as an idea, because on the back of maybe we podcast that I was doing, and and maybe if you put the podcast and Monday Night Football together in a book format. Uh, this is what we, we went down. So that's the, the reason you know, for, for the book. So I was really excited by it. And I just decided to pick games, not, not necessarily my greatest games as such, but what I would class as the greatest games from the mid-80s that, that obviously I, I would choose. But obviously some of them are a little bit more uh, special to me than others. I think some of them are self-explanatory. That would be in, in anyone's book if they were doing this book certain games but well, possibly the Everton one maybe wouldn't be in, in other people's books but from an Evertonian's uh, point of view I think it's it's possibly the number one game in the club's history and the fact I was there and it's the first year I remember of football so I wanted to start with a game from from that year or that era and finish with one from this era, which was the Liverpool-Barcelona one, the 4-0 and, and in between the you know the iconic game so yeah it's uh, it's the iconic game I think In uh, for Everton Football Club and Everton Union fans from that time. We'll speak about the
0: match in general in a minute, Jamie. Um, Prano, uh, about the game or pre-match going towards it, um, you were there as a fan um, in the top balcony, if I, if I remember you telling me once or twice. Um, how was that a bit surreal for you now? Because obviously I speak to you quite a lot in the press box, but as a fan, were, are you happy and glad that you were in the home end for that particular match?
2: It, it was weird. I mean... Um... I can't really remember exactly why I ended up where I was. I think it was down to a mate who'd uh, managed to get tickets for us, and um, we made Chris Hartley, his dad Reg, who was um, he's a proper you know sort old school Tory middle class <laughs> individual, and he'd managed to get you know sort tickets for the top balcony for this game. And so Chris said, "Look, well, we don't need anybody. We have got tickets. We're sorted." And it was great, you know, getting the tickets for the match, but I was, like, a little bit nervous about the thing. thinking, well, hang on, we're sitting with Chris's dad. And, like, you know, so, you know, this is going to be a bit weird, this, you know, because we're normally used to being in the streets end or, you know, sort of being, you know, sort of somewhere where you can let your hair down. Like, and this game was going to be so tense and going to be so important. I just felt a little bit uncomfortable, you know, sort of with the idea of, you know, so sort of me, It was Chris, John Coyle and other mates, and then Chris's old fella, you know, so sort of sat, sat next to us. I am needing worried. I mean, we were in the top balcony for the first time I've been up there. And I didn't realise quite how steep it is up there. I don't know if you've been there yourself, haven't you? And yeah. you walk out and you think, whoa, <laughs> it's, a, it's a long way up. Like, and it's on quite a steep angle. So you're sitting down there. I'm thinking, right, OK, all the nerves are going, the adrenaline's going. The game starts and literally within the first 30 seconds, Chris's Azalfella jumps to his feet. I won't use the exact language that you uh, used at that occasion. <laughs> but let's just say it's uh, a fairly politically incorrect phrase for Germans. And, uh, <laughs> I, I just thought, oh, well, all right, <laughs> we, we, we could let ourselves go. So, so we did. And it was, it was uh, well, obviously, we we're going to talk about the game later. Uh, but yeah, just actually being in the top balcony for the first time was a slightly surreal experience. And I'm not even sure I've been back there since, you know. I think I, I've been now in every single part of Goodison Park. Yeah, but that's probably the only time I've been on the top balcony. So maybe it's quite a good way to remember what was such a special night.
0: Indeed. Jamie, what do you remember of um, pre-match leading up to the match?
1: Well, I mean, I was, I was only seven then. So we used to always go to the Gladys Street Upper. Uh, so that's where I went that full season. Uh, all home games of that season. That's what, That was my sort of child. And when you get a bit older and you don't go with your dad, I went obviously lower down to the, the Gladys Street. But, I mean, the only recollection of the game really is uh, my dad's mate at half time, and obviously with the score being one 0 and he was like, "We'll win this three one," and that's just that—that's that, that's like the image I've got, and it's so for me, he's like a god then because he's like he's he's <laughs> telling me what the score was going to be before it before it happened, uh, but I just think there was a feeling that you know Everton would would win the game attacking the Gladys Street in the in the second half. That's where we were behind the goal, and uh, I I always. You know, if you you think back to those times uh, when you go to the game and that, and I probably wasn't old enough to appreciate what was actually happening and what was going on. You just took it, you know, for what it was. It was the norm, really, you know, getting to cup finals, having big games. And as I said, it's only now when you look back that you realise, you you know, you were part of something that is in folklore for uh, Evertonians and and, and still, possibly, unfortunately, in some ways for the Evertonians, that it's still the, the number one game that I think everyone looks back to.
2: Yeah, it's funny, actually, I'm probably fractionally older than Jamie, I think it's fair to say. Um, so maybe not quite as, uh, as optimistic and emboldened by, you know, the optimism of youth. Because I remember turning around at half-time to Coyley, and uh, what do you think? I oh, know he turned to me and goes, what do you think? And the pair of us just said, it's going to be tough, isn't it? And, you know, we, we just knew how good that Everson side was. But equally, we didn't know quite how good the Bayern Munich team was. And you talk about, you know, things during the game that stick with you. And the thing that always comes back to me is um, I just had such assurance in Big Nev at the time, Neville Southall. He was nearing, I think his peak years were probably 87 to about 1990. But 85, 86, he was actually nearing that world-class peak. And I always remember, you know, we it was a, a tense game, but we'd done all right. I think she had a chance early doors he didn't take. But then Ludwig Kogel, the little winger who was like lightning, uh, it actually, you know, sort of broke the offside trap because we used to press really high up the pitch and used to, you know, sort of rely on Rat's pace and Gary Stevens's pace and, you know, try and win the ball high up the pitch and cause problems, you know, sort of in their half. And they'd sprung that and Kogel had gone clean through on Nev. I remember having absolute 100% confidence he wasn't going to score. I just knew Nev was going to stop it. And he did. He came out. He made himself big. He blocked it. But the ball span away from him and it went to Honus. And he managed to, like, he quite clumsily got it under control. But then managed to roll it into the neck and net. And I just remember that, that silence, uh, you know, that, followed by a primeval roar straight afterwards. But it's weird, like, some of the things that stick out. It was just that knowledge that I knew Nev wasn't going to be beaten. And unfortunately, he was in the end, but not by Kogel because uh, we just had such absolute confidence in him. But, uh, you know, it was, you know, after that second
0: half, it was just absolutely surreal. It was, Jamie. And did you get that reflection when you were speaking to the guys in the book, the, the likes of Graham Sharp and Kevin Ratcliffe, who you spoke to, Andy Gray, Peter Reed, did you get that reflection that it was just a special night for them? Did they speak still fondly of it?
1: Yeah, the, I think a lot of the players in that era, they speak a lot about getting to the ground, don't they? And, you know, people on the streets and that build-up. I know that myself from experience with, you know, big European semi-finals with the... With Liverpool, and you can always feel something special sort of uh, in the air, don't you? I think everyone always talks about, uh, you know, Howard Kendall's team talker half time or the Gladder Street uh, sucking the ball in. But it's interesting talking to Andy Gray actually, and you know, his big involvement in that first half boot booting there, one of the defenders right up the house. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it'd be easy to look back, and I think as supporters, you look back and they go, that was great, but he was actually. Almost, almost a little bit ashamed of it, really, uh, when I spoke to him, because he was... I kept thinking I could have been sent off and that would have been the end of it. You know, it wouldn't yeah. have happened. It couldn't have happened. You know, I kept thinking you, how stupid or how lucky I was to get away with it, really. And it was just interesting, you know, on a, on his take, really. But I just think his and Peter Reid's role were huge in the game, really, because you, you sort of forget uh, how young the Everton team was Really, in some ways, and they were almost seen as the the oldest elder statesman. But I think Peter Reed was only twenty six, twenty seven, really. So it wasn't like a, a team full of experience of that. And I think their sort of personalities, I think, really shone to the fore in the in that game and throughout that season. Prano, we, we we've 100%. all watched. I,
0: I've, I've all... Sorry, Sorry, Dave, no, we, we've off. all watched um, Howard's Way, haven't we? The, the obviously yeah. the documentary, and I think Trevor Stevens spoke about that match. Uh, that I think he had a, a nightmare of a game. He said it was just one of them games that couldn't control anything, and, and that's just the way it was. But we got through in the match, and that's what it was about.
2: Well, it was. I mean, I think I, I remember that interview <laughs> where he spoke about um, not being able to put a foot right. And I, I can't remember that on the night, to be honest. But you know, I saw some of the clips subsequently, and you think, yeah, because he was such a gorgeous, elegant footballer and uh, he wasn't really able to, you know, sort of get on his game. But when it mattered most, you know, sort of with the finish right at the end, he did get it absolutely right. Um, but it was it was it was a game that we just had to get through. And that was the quality of that team. They were capable of playing absolutely gorgeous football. I mean, one of my favourite games from that season is a weird one when we beat uh, Newcastle at home 4-0. And um, Jackie Charlton was the manager. And I remember him afterwards being asked by some of the media. Uh, I wasn't working for the media then, but I heard about it subsequently. And I uh, said, well, Jackie, 4-0, you, know, you must be devastated. Devastated? No, nah, I'm delighted. And everyone thought he was taking the mickey. He said, well, you're delighted just being battered 4-0? He says, 4-0, it should have been 8. That is the best balance for." team I've seen in years and it was, it was just like absolutely heartwarming to hear that so we were capable of playing that expressive expansive football but equally because could really fight as Jamie says with the characters like Andy Gray and Peter Reid uh, Kevin Ratcliffe was another one you know so we were absolutely up for a battle if it was required and that night it was required and I think we didn't play particularly pretty football that night I mean the first two guys were long throws that were like bundled in but it didn't really matter it was about getting the job done and uh, I mean, really got his, uh, his shin opened up very early on and didn't want the Germans to see, he was hurt. So I insisted on uh, John Clincott, the physio, putting a sponge down his, um, his socks to absorb the blood. And it very, very quickly, you know, reddened his sock. And it wouldn't be allowed now, he'd be t- you know, sent off and told to you know, sort of go and get it stitched. Um, but they were uh, up for a battle. And, you know, Andy Gray, as Jeremy said, was quite fortunate that he didn't connect. Uh, with that wild swing otherwise he would have been off but it did it absolutely rattled the Germans uh, the, the fact that Everton prepared to meet fire with fire and battle with them and there's the famous anecdote isn't it right at the end where Uli Honus like, sort of shouted into the Everton dugout Mr Kendall you know, this is football you are crazy men and again I, I won't use the language that was, uh, <laughs> that was said in response but it's basically you know, do one will ya? <laughs> it was, you know, it was a football it was a football team that was capable of playing absolutely gorgeous football but Equally, could really fight and could really dig in when necessary. And they had to that night. They won by force of character that night, rather than quality of football.
0: Jamie, when, when you were talking, obviously about making sure this Everton match was in the book, was the any of them? Obviously, we t- touched on. You, you spoke about getting um, to Graham Sharp and Ratcliffe and Gray and Reid. Was the any of them players you're really looking forward to hearing their side of that story of that game? Hello, Jamie. Jamie, might have left us. Can you hear us, Jamie? Are you still there, Prenno? I can hear you fine. Yeah, basically. Yeah, we might have lost. we have lost Jamie there for a second. Surely he'll come in. Yeah. No, no speaking about that match, Dave. Do, was there any standout performances that you can remember from that match?
2: No, there weren't really, because I think it was one of those games where everybody was just so wrapped up with nerves, with emotion, you know, so with, with intensity. The, it wasn't really a game for any individual to absolutely shine, I suppose. It was just like you know, so a, a team performance more than anything. If you were to pick any one individual out, it would probably be Sheeds, uh, you know, because he was so influential throughout that season. Know, you you can you hear me? Honest. Yeah, you're
0: back, yeah, back with, you're with the shame. Yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, so, sorry mate. Sorry. You, not, what was the last question you asked ask me no probably I'm just speaking to Dave now and then I'll get back to you but just speaking about individual performances who, who stood out for you on that day so I know you were saying about Sheeds' um, influence on that game
2: yes well his influence throughout that season to be honest I mean I think he got 97 goals in his Everton career from midfield but if you think about the goals that we scored that season he was probably involved what do they call him now uh, you know, apart from the pre assist, or the, the pre-assist, he, yeah. was, he was probably involved in virtually everyone because he just like, opened up defences with that wonderful left foot. And I think he missed a, it wasn't a chance, but he had an opportunity, a shooting opportunity in the first half down the park end that he didn't take that normally you know, he might have done. Uh, but, you know, he was involved all the way through, but his influence in that third goal, uh, where I think Bracewell won the ball back, gave it to him. And he just waited and he waited and he waited. He, he, just, he probed, and you know, a couple of minutes from the end of it, such an important semi final, uh, they're desperately pressing, trying to get an equaliser, get, get a second goal. And he just waited until the absolute optimum moment where Andy Gray had made this run down the inside left channel and just speared this gorgeous pass into his path. And all Andy Gray had to do then is just knock it on in turn to, to Tricky. And you know, so he went through and, and finished absolutely beautifully. So, Of that night, no, it wasn't really a night for individual performances, but if any standouts, probably shoots, I would say, that night.
0: Jamie, you know, when we were speaking of, obviously, the four players that you've spoken to about this match, was the anyone in particular you're really looking to get their insight on this match in particular, like Sharpie or Rackless? Sharpie was your um, hero growing up, wasn't he, as an Everton striker? Yeah, he was. So it was, you know,
1: great to get get him and, and... uh, Dave mentioned before uh, Ludwig Kiergel, he was like the left winger for Bayern Munich and uh, I think it's fair to say Kevin Ratcliffe let him know that uh, he was about with that <laughs> challenge in the second half, could have been another red card along with Andy Gray really but but no I mean to be honest those Everton lads in that agree with me if I ever need them for anything or vice versa so it wasn't too hard to get them. so I actually got hold of you know, the lads I wanted to speak to uh, really because uh, I don't know if I felt with Sheehy at the moment because uh, last time he tweeted me, he said he was in my bar in New York the day Liverpool lost the league and he, he tagged me in. I thought, oh, you'll be getting it next time. Uh, <laughs> so as soon as we were in the Champions no. League 10 days later, I said, uh, yeah, so I tagged Sheeds in about winning the European Cup. So he hasn't, he hasn't got back to me yet. So <laughs> I thought I'd leave that one. Uh, he's great, but no, he's tired. But those people, the two yeah. famous centre forwards, the midfield and rats at the back, maybe. Uh, B- It was interesting because I've tried to give these games sort of uh, the analysis that you know today's football gets in some ways, and and there was no uh, doubt there was definitely things going on in that game where I I could.
0: Hello, Jamie. We kind of lost Jamie there again. I'm sure he'll join us back. Hello, Jamie. Wi Fi Bill. I know what's going on up there. (laughs) Here he is. Hello, Jamie. Can you hear us?
1: Oh, is that shades? <laughs> can you hear us, Jamie?
0: You yeah, can you there? Hear me? yeah, we can hear. Yeah, you. you just keep on cutting off every now and again. So you're talking about the analysis that you were given. Obviously, these type of matches and what what you you forefronted the ideas was. Hello.
1: Hello. Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, we can hear. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, so what it was, I I actually watched Neville Southall in the game, he kicks every time he gets the ball in his hand, he doesn't throw it out once, not once in the game, and actually looking at the two strikers, uh, Sharp and uh, Andy Gray, they were so far apart in the first half, and I asked them about it, it was a deliberate ploy, uh, obviously to try and isolate defenders and sort of sweeper coming into it, so even at that day and age, we talk about tactics now and getting really deep into formations, but... Obviously, Howard Kendall a great manager. There's a lot of stuff going on there that maybe at those times we don't really give credit to, you know, players and managers for. But
0: Jamie, no, was... sorry, so for no. Jamie, was there anything that you learned um, from obviously speaking to, to Sharpie and Ratcliffe or or Gray or Reedy about about this particular match without giving too much away in the book?
1: Well, no, I think the interesting thing, not just speaking to him, is I watched the game as. People always think of like sort of Everton bullied by Munich, but Bayern Munich were no angels in that game, and they were a really strong, powerful team. And as uh, Dave just mentioned, where Everton's goals come from, long throw-ins, So people automatically think, oh, you know, eighties football, very daddy, bullied them and battered them. And but it was interesting just analysing the game. Bayern Munich's first throwing was at the Gladys Street end. They were, they yeah, we were, oh, certainly in the attacking half. They were attacking that end first half. They first throwings a long throwing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so people always associate oh Gary Stevens as long throw the flick-ons and that. But Bayern Munich's first throw in that game was a long throw. So, and the mention the the guy you mentioned who scored, we spoke to him, Dieter Heiner, So he's actually in the book as well. And I don't know if you you probably will remember Dave, but at that time Bayern Munich lost, I think five out of six years on a row in a row in Europe to English teams. Yeah. So they'd lost. I think they lost the top. They lost obviously to Aston Villa. In the uh, the European Cup final, I think they, they lost to Everton. I think they lost to Tottenham. In one of them. So there was four or five games, and every year they got knocked out by English teams. So yeah. he was just telling us how much of a jinx they felt, you know, when they were playing English teams.
2: I remember talking to Willie Donachie about this uh, when he was at Everton, and uh, he had this idea that he, he thought that you know that it was uh, always uh, a philosophy at the time that. European teams had the better technique, you know, so they had the better ability on the ball. But English teams, certainly in that area that you're talking about when we dominated Europe, um, the, you know, so English teams had a bit more you know, British bulldog spirit, if you want like an old fashioned phrase. And uh, that, that's what dragged them through. And uh, really believed that. He said that he says there was like this mental. Uh, blank you know the block that you know so foreign teams had facing English teams because they knew they were going to be you know so up, up for a battle and very often come off worst I just wonder Bayern actually bought Alan McAnally didn't he the following season uh you know from did he go from Aston Villa and I just wonder whether that was a way of trying to bring a little bit of that you know sort of physicality if you like <laughs> into the game to try and counter it because they played us the following year, if you remember, in the Mercantile Credit um, tournament, which was a team, uh, so it was a tournament to play both of the uh, the champions of each country. And we won that one 3-1 as well.
0: <laughs> so, um, didn't do them much better at all. But, Jamie, do hey, you remember
1: that
0: game? Do you remember it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: I, I'm sure I had that taped on a video. Did Mark Hughes play up front for Bayern Munich?
2: Correct, correct. Yeah, I've got, I've got it on tape myself. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah I, I
1: can, I can remember that game. Yeah, I've got yeah. that. I, 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 haven't got it now. I, I remember I used to watch. That was an evening game. Yeah, by Munich. Yeah. And Mark, Mark Hughes was on loan there from Barcelona.
0: That's right. Yeah. Wow, indeed. But Jamie, did you? I oh, know you were only a seven-year-old. Um, was in the Seas, But could you? Some, can you recollect that atmosphere what it was like because every after dinner um, event I go to that atmosphere comes up all the time it was just the best atmosphere you could ever wish to, to witness
1: yeah I mean I just remember in the second half you just everyone was just getting through everywhere you know and I'm only a little kid you know what I mean so you can imagine the scenes in the upper Gladys Street and it's only small the upper Gladys Street isn't it I, I don't yeah. know how many roses in there maybe about 15-20 roses there or something maybe it might be more but it was it's very tight, very congested, basically, and you can imagine uh what it was like. I'm sure there was a few bumped in as well, and I think I probably did I don't think I paid to get in one game that season anywhere <laughs> but down the country uh, I was over over the turnstile. style, but it was a uh, yeah, It just a Because the goals came, I think certainly the two long throwing goals came quite quickly, didn't he? if yeah. I remember yeah. sort of after other, yeah. was there wasn't yeah. too much time between them uh. So it Just felt it was just a constant sort of everyone just going like nuts, really, uh, and then and then just hanging on.
0: I don't know what you remember of that famous atmosphere.
2: I don't know to be honest. I mean, there's so many moments you know, sort of around about that era that stay with you. Uh, I mean, the 84 cup final was the month for me, you know, so because I've been there twice previously, uh, for the milk cup final the previous year and the 77 league cup final, and each game had finished nil nil. So to actually see a goal scored at Wembley for the first time. It was sharpie, you know, in off the post against Watford and it was down our end as well. An actual physical shiver went the length of his spine when that went in. I've never experienced that before or since in a football match. It was just absolutely surreal. That night itself by him, I remember the noise, I remember the atmosphere. Um but I don't remember it being like so sort of massively different to so many other games because I don't know, there were 49,000 in there that night and there was only like a handful of, uh, of German fans. Uh, so yeah, it, it was intense. It was, you know, incredible. Well, I know all the players talk about it now as being like this, you know, sort of semi-religious experience. And uh, I, I don't, I mean, it's, it's weird actually because how old was I then? I was about 20, 21 and you know you don't really know that much different you think uh, it's going to be like that all the time you know so we're going to be seeing this you know season after season and we didn't so it's only in hindsight that you look back and you think that yeah maybe it was that little bit different it was special and I can't remember how I got to the game that night I presume if we Chris as our fellow he must have been driven there because normally I'd get the train to Bangor and walk down and normally then you'd actually you know understand you know sort of the, the electricity in the streets and you know sort of the crowd you know sort of walking down Rumley Road but we hadn't we'd gone there by car for a change We didn't normally do. I must have parked up and like sort walked through. So no, the actual atmosphere didn't really register with me during the night. It was just the significance of the results, you know, so how important it was. Because we knew we were going to win, you know, so Rapid Vienna, you know, lined up in the final. So, you know, Bayern was effective with the final, you know, winning that. Similar to how it was in 84, you know, so we knew that, you know, if we could get past Southampton in the semi-final, they were the tough side to beat. That You know, so Watford or Plymouth who were playing the other semi, I wouldn't say that was a gimme, but, you know, Watford and John Barnes and Mo Johnson playing for them. But, you know, we still thought we'd have a very, very good chance of beating them. So that was the important thing, you know, so not so much how it felt on the night, and I can't even remember, you know, what we did afterwards, um, you know, because I was old enough then to go drinking. You know? And I'm just thinking, we used to go to the Mons after the game. And I think we might have just gone, just maybe had a couple, just a couple in the Mons, <laughs> then gone home. Uh, I don't know, because obviously we were, we were fighting things on of fronts at the time then. Yeah. We, we broke away a couple of days previously, prior to that game. And we went to that one, and that, that was easy. We absolutely strolled at 2-0. And then uh, a couple of days after the Bayern How that, game? That game? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was like it was just like a gimme that one. They, they were
1: the worst team in the league that season. They, they were dreadful. Yeah, I think Andy they only awful. got 17 that season. That rings a bell. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember going to Stoke away.
2: Yeah, but then a couple of days later, it was like Norwich, and we, we batted them at Goodison three 0 So it was. They were coming thick and fast then, and it was almost like a bit of a bit of a you know roller coaster. So you know, okay, that's out of the way. But what's next? So it was. You know, maybe in hindsight, if you realised, you know, sort of how significant it was going to be. You know, taking a bit of time just to sit back and savour it and let it all come in, which I try and do sometimes now, you know, so when you're at sporting occasions. I remember your you mate Greg, uh, we, were, uh, we were sat next to each other when Tony, when Tony Bellew won his, uh, his world title of Goodison, and that was like a special night. I remember turning to Greg, you know, so when it was all going off and Tony's running around the ring like a lunatic after winning it and saying to Greg, remember this mate, just remember this, this is a special night. And maybe I should have done something similar with the biome one. Just took, took a step back and just savoured it a little bit. What well, you don't do yet, because you yeah.
0: caught up in. The... Yeah, you caught up in in the emotions yourself, Jamie. You just think back. You were seven years of age, and this was your first ever season following the Blues. How lucky were you! <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I said before. You take it for granted. I mean, it was it was Wembley. It was almost like Wembley was going to Olden Towers, you know, like a day out you did at the end of every year. It was just You just took it, for, as I said, for granted and probably just didn't appreciate it as much, really. I think of my dad at that time and another fellow we used to go to the game with, or a couple of fellas we used to go with it, what they'd been through in the seven. And then, you know, to have that time, to really sort of savoured it, really. And you only have to, I always just think those two. 84, 85, you say that, and it just brings so many memories so many Pettonians, uh, really, and as I said, I was, I was probably uh, very that my, uh, I, I can remember those days, Now I, I was, I was that was part of my childhood of growing up, of seeing Everton being successful, because obviously the 10 years before that, the 70s, and obviously the 90s after it, and so now it hasn't reached those heights, really, so I think people who were around at that time should feel very privileged, and I do. I just probably wish I was maybe three or four years older so I could probably understand it uh, a little bit more.
0: That's interesting thoughts indeed. That from Jamie going up there as an Everton fan. Prenno, just one last word on the Bayern Munich match. Um, Is there any memory of that particular match that springs to your mind straight away? I know you've, you've shared a few of you, your thoughts on the game itself, but is the one that in particular just come to the forefront straight away when you're talking about this match? Is it the manager situation? Is our our kendall a half-time, that team talk, or is it something that happens in the match?
2: I mean, well, I've already mentioned the things that happened in the game. I mean, first of all, Chris is our fella jumping out of his seat and, you know, so shouting what he shouted. Coilly turning to me at half time and saying it's going to be tough, isn't it? And then just that absolute assurance that Neville was going to save from from Ludwig Kogel. But probably, I think we must have gone home afterwards uh, to watch the highlights because it was on um, ITV, I think, uh, the midweek match. Yes, uh, we because you wanted to watch it again you know because you'd seen it so you wanted to you know so sort of devour it again i remember andy gray getting collared by it It might have been elton wells be in the tunnel afterwards and he was desperate to go and celebrate and uh, he was like speaking as well as he always did but a million miles an hour and he's gone all right can i go now can i go now all right can i go now and elton kept him for like about you know so 30 seconds 60 seconds and then all right Grace, can i go now <laughs> anyway he did and he went, and you know, I've, I've no idea quite how they celebrated, but I'm sure they had a couple that night. So that that sticks with me as well. And uh, I've, I've got it, I've got that video or that DVD, and I watched that a lot. I've got the full game as well, and I can't remember if I've ever sat down and watched the full game through again. I'll have to do that again one day. I'm just, I'm sure all kinds of things will come back to me. You don't
1: have
0: to.
2: I just read the book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, read the book. Jimmy. You, 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 you know what, Jamie? I've got the book here in front of me. I'm just looking through it, and. The first three matches in there, I was at all three of them. The Liverpool 4, Barcelona 0-1, which, you know, I know we're talking about Everson, but that was an incredible special night. Even as a blue, I can say that that was absolutely incredible. The Bayern Munich game is the second one. And the third one, Liverpool nil, Arsenal 2, 89. I was working for the Daily Post back then. and uh, I was there at that one as well. I remember a mate of mine, he was in the main stand, Big Red, and he uh, turned to me because uh, he wanted to see how I reacted in the press box to Michael Thomas's last-minute goal. And he thought I'd be beaming from my like ear to ear or you know, sort of bouncing. And I wasn't. He just said I was on my feet like everybody else in the ground with my chin on my, uh, on, on my chest thinking what have I just seen and it was uh, it was great so yeah I, I was at the first three in the book Germany 1 England 5 I wasn't there but there's some crackers in there so I'm looking forward to getting stuck into it it's, uh, it looks like a hell of a read.
0: Jamie yeah. here's your chance before we wrap up tell us about the book and the other matches in general
1: well I think certain matches just have to be in there I think Liverpool Arsenal that's an iconic moment that has to be in there the the. The Manchester United Champions League final against Bayern Munich again. Uh, you know, just games that stand out. The Aguero moment for, for uh, Manchester City, that was in there. So I spoke to Vincent Company and Joey Barton on that game. And uh, a couple of England games, uh, one I played in, the 5-1 in Germany. And the other one, which was uh, Holland, England in Euro 96. And I think the great thing about looking back at these games is, there's a lot of myths behind football and what really happened. Then you look at the games and you really look into, you know, the real detail of it. And a lot of it is just, it's just nonsense, really. I mean, England v. Holland, I mean, we beat Holland 4-1. I mean, it was just for a 10 or 15 minutes mads in the second half. Besides that, he played, you know, amazingly well. Holland keep the ball for long periods as well, so it's looking at, I'm actually one of the few people who actually think Manchester United actually deserve to win the uh, the Champions League final. I haven't watched that game again. hope so that will be interesting to uh, get people's thoughts on that because no one seems to ever think that. And uh, of course, you've got to finish the, uh, the book with you know what. And uh, hopefully, you'll get to that chapter, Preno.
2: I was there. That I was there that night, mate. And. Um... Yeah, and you robbed rob them again
1: <laughs>
2: you, you, you had a great seven minutes and that was about it <laughs> yeah,
0: so, the book. boys it's been an absolute pleasure to get you on and talk about Everton's most famous, famous night at Goodison Park and Jamie Carragher's book make sure you go out and buy it Jamie Carragher the greatest game she spoke to all players at the forefront of them thanks for tuning in on the All Together Now podcast we'll send a link straight underneath this podcast so you can go out and buy Jamie Carragher The Greatest Games thanks for tuning in on the All Together Now podcast
1: hello
0: you still there Jamie